Good morning, day or night, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Surviving to Drive podcast. Today, we are discussing the Canadian Grand Prix. This is your favorite source of American-based F1 conversation, presented by me, Alex, and my co-host, Tyler. Let's race into it. So, Alex, what are your initial thoughts after that one? Um, I mean, overall, I think it was a pretty solid race. I, it, was, it was nice to be back in Canada for the first time since 2019. Agreed. Um, saw a first-time winner in Max. Uh, which is, you know, a nice change definitely from the past of, of having Vettel and Hamilton all the time. So, you know, I guess going through the order here, we have Max P1, Sainz P2, and Hamilton P3 to round out the podium. And then Russell, Leclerc, Ocon, Bottas, Zoe, Alonso, Stroll, Ricardo, Vettel, Albon, Gasly, Norris, Latifi, Magnuson, and then rounding out the rest of it, we have Sonoda, DNF, Mick, DNF, and Perez, DNF. A couple of unfortunate DNFs there. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> Perez's was tough to begin with, you know, having the having the transmission issue very early on in the race, and I think he definitely would have made up a lot of places and probably maybe potentially contended for a podium there at the end, Yeah, especially with the pace that, that Max had in the Red Bull. Um, obviously very tough for Mick. Uh, I think we were both very upset with that. Agreed. Was on on pace to possibly get some points today. Uh, just those points continue to elude him, though. Yeah. So so after all that, and besides those those unfortunate DNFs, what do you think? Out of ten here, what are you rating that race? Um, I'll give it a seven out of ten. Um, okay. I think the race wasn't super exciting overall. It was kind of pretty straightforward. We obviously had the a couple of virtual safety cars and and the one safety car, but. Um, it didn't offer too many passing things. Like we saw a lot of DRS trains this race, and yeah, agreed. Not as much action, but I think the track is super fun, and I think everything, the scenes around it, and everything were were very good this weekend. So yeah, like like you said, it was it was very good to be back. I think I'd probably probably put it up there right around a seven if we're looking at the whole weekend with with quality being so interesting in a, in the wet conditions. I think maybe I could bump up a little bit more, but with a dry race and. Uh, yeah, like you said, the DRS trains came out in full force today. So, um, yeah, right around a seven. Maybe other than the DRS trains, what what did you find interesting about the race? Um, I think the the biggest early factor was definitely the virtual safety cars. Um, I think you saw with the first one specifically, Hamilton and Max kind of take advantage of that and, and get the free pit stop out of that. And yep. then going into the second one, you saw Russell take advantage of that as well. So kind of bringing the Mercs up. So I think the Mercs. That was kind of interesting. The interesting thing to watch was to see them play out their strategy this weekend, and I think they had a great strategy for the race and were consistent all race and consistent on pace. So that was definitely probably one of my race highlights. Yeah, and some of those early pit stops teed it up for a pretty nice race, making some one and two stop strategies be kind of the focus going forward. Obviously, a lot of people waiting for other safety cars to go in, but definitely teed up a good one. And I think even going into the race, we were teed up for a good one with Alonzo's comments after qualifying saying he's going to send it up into, into turn one, but unfortunately we didn't get any action action there. They got around safely the first few laps until Perez kind of clunked out there. But, yeah, I think overall pretty good race. I think definitely the last few laps were a big highlight for me, watching signs come roaring back a little bit after the safety car restart and unfortunately not able to get them, or unfortunately for some people, I guess. But uh, I think it would have spiced up some of the some of the overall constructors and and definitely um, driver standings. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, the general contingent would have wanted to see Sainz get his first win. I think that would have been pretty awesome. And True. But just didn't didn't have the pace in the straight, and even with the DRS, just could not keep up with Max. And 
you know, he kept it within a second, obviously, every time, but just couldn't get close enough to, to kind of close that gap and make the pass. I think an interesting thing, too, um, was with going back to those virtual safety cars, I think it brought out a little bit more exciting racing kind of between the upper midfield, I say. So I think we got to see kind of for a little bit uh, the Alpines and the Mercedes go back and forth yeah. uh, at the beginning there, especially with, with Alonzo starting in P2 and kind of see some passing there. And then obviously the, the whole race, you had Leclerc who started at the back, uh, make his way to the front and ended up finishing P5. So yeah. a great race from him and a great recovery drive for sure. But that was another interesting aspect is to kind of see him work through the field. I think you're, you always get that whenever you have one of the one of the top teams uh, to have an engine penalty and start at the back. Yeah, um, but I think it was very exciting. Yeah, I think it was a lot of fun to, to get ready to watch him race through the field. And same with Perez, definitely exciting to see that car with all the straight line speed that he's got come through. And definitely got a little more interesting at the end there when he was able to start throwing some down into the hairpin at the end there, and even into that last chicane. I think uh, there was some really entertaining overtakes, but. You also mentioned, you know, the the penalties that he received, and I guess what are some of your thoughts on that? Because that's going to be a, a very interesting topic going forward, especially with how long of a season it is and how far over allocation a lot of these cars are already. Yeah, I mean, I think I saw, I don't know where it was at, probably somewhere on Twitter, a, a graphic that kind of showed where everybody was at in the field. And you are right, there are a lot of people that are either at their limit or have now started to go over. Um, yeah. So I think in the in the championship battle, it's going to be the most interesting. Um, I think from what I've heard, you know, Red Bull eventually have to take some kind of penalty yeah. for Max specifically too. And I think that's going to make it interesting. It's like, when do they use that? You know, what race would that be best to use it at? Um, I think, you know, Ferrari was forced to this weekend with Leclerc, especially with the DNF last week. I think that they had to this weekend, but I think going forward, it will be interesting to see like how these teams balance that with the different tracks and stuff, because you know, if it's a track you're going to perform better at, you may not want to use the engine penalty then, whereas if it's a track you would have a poor performance at, typically yeah. you might want to use that engine penalty. Yeah, and you look at the length of the season. I mean, we're going 20-plus races here, and we're only in round nine. It's, yeah. it's only going to get worse from here. And we saw Sonoda basically take a whole new car this weekend. And definitely things like that and how every team's dealing with it or eventually will have to deal with it begs the question of the cost cap and – is it going to be attainable? Is it going to be not attainable? And I know there's a lot of discussion about it already, but what are some of your thoughts on uh, on different stances on that? Yeah, so I think it's um, it seemed to get brought up a lot this weekend, especially in the driver interviews. Um, I know Max had very specific thoughts on it and felt like it should be something that should be removed, and I, I would think I would tend to agree with that as well um, within reason. Um, I think you do need some kind of cap ultimately, otherwise the best teams are going to end up just spending way more and you're going to get a huge discrepancy in the field. But if they're already reaching the cost cap one-third of the way into the season, like that's going to be an issue down the road. Then not um, so much with the with the improvements they might bring. You know, if, if all the teams are on an even field of the cost cap, then they're all going to be capped at a certain point anyways. But like in terms of spare parts and things like that, you know, crashes happen, different DNFs and different things like that happen, and that's – consistent across all teams every year so if it's if they're at a point where they can't even make upgrades now for the last two-thirds of the year because of a few crashes or dns i think that's definitely something that needs to be considered yeah and it'll be interesting to see what the real consequences are at the end of the season i mean is it just the fact that they can't bring upgrades for so long or are teams not going to be able to to put a car on the grid for not being able to take a new engine if they go bust one up or or, or something of that nature so I'm kind of interested to see how the FIA rules on that and how they uh, decide to go about that because I agree there does need to be a cost cap and 
you know, there's a lot of reasoning for why they put that in, but you see the teams that were able to spend half a billion dollars in the past few years really struggling with it now. Yeah. And I guess, you know, on the, on the thought of the, on the FIA and different rulings and things they've kind of been bringing up lately, I know uh, this weekend a big topic was porpoising and what they're going to do about that. Obviously, Mercedes has voiced their opinion and the pain that their drivers have gone through because of porpoising. And I know this weekend their initial idea uh, was to kind of use those first two practice sessions as a, as a testing realm, basically, for, for the FIA to figure out, like, okay, what exactly is going on with this and how can this, you know, be fixed, hopefully, to help, you know, prevent injuries to the drivers. Um, and I know the conclusion that came out of that was that they're just – it's too complex right now to be able to make it. They wanted a quick fix it this weekend, but it's not a quick fix. So yeah, and there was the discussion within that ruling: is is it bumps? Is it because of the bumpy tracks, or is it porpoising, or is it going to be both? Because I don't know if there's a very easy way to tell between the two. I mean, you can definitely tell a little bit based on skid plates and things like that. But I know initially they were going off of one g of force uh, lift off the ground or something of that nature, and. I don't know if that's really discernible. Yeah, and I think it's it's different for every car, too. Obviously, some teams have it worse than others. Um, and it's going to be, even for the teams that might have it the same as others, like the reason they might be experiencing it might be different than the, the reason another team might be experiencing it. Yeah. So I think it's not a quick fix, but I definitely think it is something where, you know, I obviously don't know the total ins and outs of the technical details of that, but, you know, I would expect some kind of regulation to come out from FIA, whether it be about the certain ride height that everybody has to run it at or something because obviously, in general, we would know that the higher the ride is raised up, the less porpoising there would be, and the less track strikes in general there would be. For it. So they would kind of solve both of them. But you know, how do you enforce that, and how do you, you know, how is that fair to a team like Red Bull, for example, who maybe haven't had as much trouble with porpoising? Yeah. Why should they have to raise their ride height up just because Mercedes has bad porpoising? Yeah, and what effect does Mercedes have to go to? Because you heard from them, even when they're riding at their highest ride height, they're still having really bad issues. So. It'll be definitely interesting to see which way they go with that. But another interesting clip I saw was Crofty going down to the pit wall and talking to Christian Horner about uh, the differences between his his opinions on the cost cap rulings and his opinions on the porpoising rulings because you heard him talking about porpoising and how he thinks it's unfair to go and change it halfway through the season, but you know begging for the cost cap cost cap difference. But I think he did have a, a really interesting point talking about external factors versus internal factors and. I, I do think a lot of the porpoising and bouncing is, you know, within the teams. And obviously some teams have been able to control that. And then the cost cap is a lot of external factors. But yeah. I, guess, I guess we'll see how far the FIA go. And, again, what the penalties are for for overstepping those boundaries will be interesting, especially in some of the title fights. Yeah, I think, you know, how that applies to uh, – because I, I would say right now, you know, they're on the edge, but Mercedes isn't, you know, technically in the title fight. It's really a – well, now I would say a one-team fight. But – you could argue Ferrari in there too, obviously. Um, so you know, if this if a regulation gets applied, how does that affect the performance of Ferrari versus Red Bull, and how does that impact the title fight? You know, is it something where, you know, Red Bull have to make this this change everybody else is making, and it negatively impacts them because they had figured out a way around it before? So I think that's definitely something worth looking at. Yeah, and like you said, they were definitely looking at it in FP1 and FP2, but we got to. To Saturday and we had a wet day that was pretty interesting yeah I think uh probably the best qualifying of the year I don't know if you agree but I think it was definitely a fun one yeah yeah so I think it was probably one of the best if not the best qualifying of the year um you obviously had a wild top three 
somewhat with Alonso putting it up there in P2. Yeah. You know, Max and Sainz has been pretty consistent, but, you know, running through the rest of the order even, you had the Haas at five and six, which is pretty high for them. And then, uh, you know, going from there, you had Perez in 13th because he ended up crashing out. Yeah. Um, and then I think the biggest surprise for me of qualifying was the Aston Martins. And so I don't know if we want to go into our predictions from here because mine kind of relate to that, but yeah. I think yours do too. So. Yeah, they do indeed. I'll um, let you go. Yeah, so we obviously, same as last week, came up with uh, two pre-quality predictions. Uh, so my first one was Vettel to be in the top five. Reason for that was that he had looked great all weekend in practice. Aston Martin looked great in general. They had a lot of pace. Um, just looked very good, and I thought you know he'd be a lock for the top five, and that seemed to be kind of a general consensus among a lot of people in the media yep. for F1. Um, did not work out at all. Uh, he qualified 17th, and Stroll qualified 18th. So, um, and then along with that, I also had signs uh, putting it on pole, which was pretty close, but just didn't quite have it. Yeah, he had some good pace, and I think that exit of the last turn kind of got a little squiggly, and and definitely. If nothing else, I think P2 was in the books for him. But yeah, it was pretty cool to see Alonso get on the front row for, for sure. the first time in a decade. But obviously it didn't pan out in the race. But back to quality, I, a couple of my predictions were uh, kind of similar to yours, basing it off of the the pace of the Aston Martins. And yeah, like you said, it, it seemed to only really stay in the dry. But you had Vettel putting it up in P2 and FP, FP2, I believe it was, and just really looking racy. Um so I had for my, my predictions were both Aston Martins and both Alpines putting it in the top eight. And so my thought process on that a little bit was based on, you know, you had Leclerc who was going to be up there or assumed to be up there and uh, wasn't going to participate, or at least I thought for, for Q1. But he came out and bumped an extra guy down and you had Vettel and Stroll way down there and never really able to find it. And it came out on race day that they got their tire pressures wrong. And you also saw the likes of Gasly with uh, a lack of a front left brake, and he ended up going out really early as well. So made for a really mixed up qualifying, and I think that always sets up for a good race. Yeah, I, I think that was a tough one for Gasly. I think he expected more pace out of the car. Um, yeah. Obviously, an FP3 had put it in the top three uh, right before the session, a couple hours before. And I know even on the radio, he was saying it just feels completely different than it did two hours ago. And obviously, he had that, that front left brake issue. Yeah, you know, we we really didn't see anything from Snowdy. He didn't really come out and do anything, which was as expected because we knew he'd be starting away from the back. But I definitely thought after FP three, and I think Gasly did too, that it would have been a Q three day for them yeah, at Alphatauri, and ended up being a disaster for qualifying. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, Sonoda could have used a couple more pit exits. Yeah, obviously in the race he had that that crash coming out of the pit exits into the wall, which was which was tough. Um, I think another interesting thing from this qualifying was just how dominant Max was. The yeah. whole session. Yeah, he was. Um, you know, just looked untouchable on the track. No one even close to him. He ended up getting on pole by over six tenths, which is a pretty large margin for for any qualifying. Uh, but especially in the wet, I mean, most of the sessions he was a second up on everybody. Every time he went on a lap, it was the fastest lap. Uh, just, just looked dominant all day on Saturday. Yeah, and you saw a lot of track progression with them drying out the track, using the wets. And uh, another interesting part about qualifying was George – making the dive onto, onto some slick soft tires and unfortunately didn't work out for him, but definitely an interesting call. And he, you know, he made it to the second corner and put it in the wall and then was ever, never able to hook up another lap. But yeah, I mean, I think it was a brave call by him and one that was definitely his decision, but I think it was a good call in the end. And 
I think it was it was worth, it was worth a shot at least, right? Yeah. So he wasn't gonna put it. He wasn't gonna put it um, P one unless he did something like that. He wasn't. They didn't have the pace. Yeah. To even probably put it top three. Yeah. Uh, just on the interest. So I think taking that risk and it, you know if, if we look back at last year and he kind of talked about that at, at Sochi last year where they did that and he put it P three. Yeah. In a Williams, I think you know it could have been something where if it did work out, he could have put it on pole possibly. Yeah, and he was still able to capitalize in the race. Obviously, he had a couple of cars between him and his teammate where he probably would have ended up around in qualifying, but but it definitely paid off. He was able to get up there pretty easily, and he knew this was a, a good passing track, even though they might not have the best top line speed. Uh, three DRS zones made it made it pretty decently easy for him. Yeah, I agree. So I don't know. Speaking of the race, why don't we go ahead and get into our predictions for the race now? All right. Um, so I can start. So my non-finishing order predictions, I had Norris in the points. Um, I just thought, you know, they had that, that failure during basically with the power unit during, during Q2. And that's why he didn't get out and get a lap, but I did think he would have the pace today to get, to get back in the points. Um, but as we'll get into later, I, McLaren completely bungled the strategy for both him and Ricardo. Uh, and then the other thing I had was one red flag. Um, I think we could have possibly had one. For the Sonoda incident, it was quite a long safety car, Yeah. Um, but ended up being where they could get it cleared off pretty easily. Um, and then for my finishing order predictions, uh, pretty proud of myself for this one. I had Max P1, Sainz P2, and Hamilton P3. Yeah. So I ended up getting nailing those three for three. Um, I think just the Max one, easiest choice of all weekend. I think that was a no-doubter. Uh, it obviously got closer in the last couple laps at the end, but he looked dominant all weekend. Uh, Signs P2, I, I just didn't think Alonso stood a chance of staying in P2 for more than a lap or two, which isn't ended up what happening. And then with Hamilton, same thing. You know, he started P4. Uh, he's always done well at Canada. He has won it seven times in his career. So I just thought, you know, this is where he kind of makes a statement here, gets puts it on a podium, kind of gets his mojo back going forward. So Yeah, yeah. And then my top three were Max, Signs, and Alonso. And the only reason I threw Alonso up there was to be a little different. But yeah. I still figured, you know, he's had so much bad luck this season. He was right around due for, for something nice. For sure. And able to put it up into P2, he definitely had some speed. And also with the straight line speed that we've been seeing out of the Alpine. So, you know, that obviously didn't end up too well with the strategy that they decided to roll with. But my other predictions were Haas, double points. Not even close. Not, Not even, even close. close. No. That, was, that was an unfortunate one. They were looking pretty pretty solid in qualifying and I think you know it does take a little bit of craziness in qualifying for them to get up there but they were able to hook it together in the wet and I was kind of impressed with Mick there after the qual- the qualifyings and the performances that he's been having I think he was due for a good one and on for some points there for a while but never panned out for him no I mean that's it was a tough weekend overall for them it ended up being at least obviously qualifying p5 and p6 and I think we both probably expected Maybe not finishing in fifth and sixth with the pace they had. You know, the Alpines look quick and just having Russell behind them and stuff. Yep. I would expect them to fall a little, but I think I agree with your, your original prediction. I think it, for me, I thought for sure, you know, if not both of them, at least one of them would be able to get in the points, and yeah. hopefully it would have been Mick's first time getting the points. He obviously had that very tough TNF uh, there where just lost the entire engine and yeah. was looking good. He was. We talked about it earlier, but, and then for Magnuson, you know, I think he was looking good too. They just completely screwed up his strategy and ended up falling all the way down to last of the people who even finished the race. Yeah, he ended up getting that black and orange flag again, second week in a row. We've seen one of those, but 
Yeah, that was definitely an interesting kind of storyline to follow for the first few laps there. We saw him make contact with Hamilton and then have the end of his wing hanging off. And you heard Ocon on the radio trying to complain about it and uh, and, and bring the FIA into or the stewards into looking at that a little further. But eventually it did get a little worn down and, and ended up getting ready to come off before he got the uh, black and orange flag, had to come in. And, and that really did ruin his race, put him way back there, pitted way too early and uh, was just never really able to to match anybody else's pace. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, if you look at Haas over the course of the whole season, uh, you know, starting out in Bahrain, looked so good. You know, Magnussen, I believe, finished fifth. Um, you know, got a solid 10 points on the board. They just looked great, right? We thought this might this team might be, you know, right after uh, Red Bull, Ferrari, and Mercedes, this might be that next team. Yeah. Um, and it's been just downhill for them ever since. Just obviously they have brought no upgrades yet really to their car um, and we know they only do one or two upgrades per season just based on the cost and kind of the budget they're working with but yeah I think it's been very dis- I've been very disappointed in them I think they came in with such higher hopes after starting last year's car earlier and having such a promising you know couple of first sessions in Barcelona and in, in Bahrain and then in the first race of the season in Bahrain having that outcome I thought wow you know Magnuson, you know, should be in the top ten this year. Like he's, they're going to be constantly fighting for points. They're going to be near the top of the midfield, and yeah. they've just gotten worse every single race, whether it be through DNF, through strategy, whatever it may be, and just have no pace. And you know, you look at the standings now, and they're in ninth place, and have had really no points since Italy, and five points total since since Bahrain. So yeah, and coming into the season, it was one of those storylines that you wanted to to grip onto. I think watching Magnuson and Bottas finish up there and in middle of the top 10 up there in the pack and having some good pace it was something you hoped for just with the new regulations hoping that there was a big switch around in the teams and something exciting to watch but yeah I think and Alfa Romeo has been putting in some good performances but unfortunately for both teams it's been not as stellar as yeah as yeah I think one I agree with that and Alfa, Alfa Romeo too I think they had that hot start where you know I think Zoe even scored early and Bottas was consistently scoring and they just you know this race went very well with them you know if we look at it they finished seventh and eighth obviously both of them benefited greatly from strategy and I think Alfredo did do a good job with their strategy and they benefited from the safety cars and stuff but yeah. I think overall if you look at the course of the season I think <clears throat> we expected a little bit more out of them as a team and to kind of be hunting more towards the top of that midfield whereas they're kind of in the middle of the pack maybe a little lower and seem to be kind of on that outer edge of the top 10 every week you know I think you have your consistent Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, and now I throw Alpine in there to kind of round out yeah. that top eight. And I think those last two positions are up up for grabs, basically between McLaren and, and Alfa Romeo and a couple other teams, but they seem to be kind of on that outer edge right now, and it, it looked more promising than that to start of the year. Yeah, and even Aston Martins are, are starting to climb their way into that battle with their new package. But, yeah, unfortunately Haas wasn't able to make the points, but my other, my other prediction was Perez top five finish, and... Obviously, that didn't happen with his gearbox failure pretty early on in the race, but I thought he was going to be a pretty fun one to watch today, storming back through the field, but uh, unfortunately, that was not the case. Other than that, though, who do you think were, were some of your top drivers this weekend? Yeah, so I think, you know, for me, my top drivers, uh, Lewis has to be up there, uh, was, you know, had a, just a terrible Friday, complained about the car, said it was just impossible to drive, basically, and that he was really struggling with it, and then had a great qualifying performance in the wet on Saturday and put it P4 and then was able to move up one spot in the race and 
had consistent pace all race. Uh, a, few, a couple of times, actually, he was the fastest man on track, which was which was nice to see. And you know, capitalized on strategy correctly, and you know, just ended up finishing, I think, seven or eight seconds behind signs, which is you know, their Merck is clearly showing that they're picking their pace up and are getting more involved in this. And I think that's steps forward. And then just for Lewis in general, you know, getting that podium, kind of getting his confidence back after what had been kind of a rough year since that first race for him. I think that's, that was really nice to see. And I think he did a great job all weekend. Um, Along with that, you know, the easiest choice I think out of everybody is Max. Um, Just dominant all weekend in all phases, every practice, every, you know, qualifying, everything that he did this weekend he looked a step step above everybody else. Obviously, you know, Red Bull gave him a great car, but he just looked unbeatable the whole weekend. And that transitioned right into the race where he, you know, pretty much other than when he was pitting for the, in the safety cars and stuff, he had the lead the whole time and was pretty much always net P1 throughout the whole race. Yep. Um, then finally, I have both Alfa Romeo drivers. Um, kind of we touched on earlier, they've kind of been a little bit disappointing this season overall, but to, it was nice to see uh, both Bottas and Zoe get up into the points um, so obviously qualified 10th and Bottas 11th, but moving up to 7th and 8th um, after Alonso's penalty and capitalizing on both the safety cars, I think they had a great strategy this weekend. I think Alfa Romeo yeah. was ready to throw with Mercedes in terms of capitalizing on the strategy and making it work. Um, so just seeing them both up there and kind of getting their confidence back, and especially for Zoe, who's had all those DNFs and I think three of the last four races hasn't even finished. Yeah. For him to have a points finish this weekend, that's got to feel great. Yeah, and I have him as one of my top three as well. I think he was able to put in a great performance. And like you said, they were able to take care of strategy, but he was able to fend off a few people, get a few really good overtakes uh, into the last last chicane there. But, yeah, overall a great race from him, and I'm, I'm glad he's starting to pick it up and turn it around and uh, starting to show some confidence because I think um, we hadn't really seen seen a ton out of him. Obviously his points in his debut and, and then not too many uh, – too many big performances, but but I think this one showed that he he can race pretty well. Um, my next my next top driver I think would say I would say Signs and really for the fact that he was able to to kind of match Max for a decent amount of the race. Obviously you had a little bit different strategy, but he was up there in pace. And then you saw for the last 13 laps after the safety car, he was really able to stick on Max's bumper. And obviously it's going to be hard to top that Red Bull top speed on the down the straights, but he was able to really stick with him and definitely pulled some pulled some different moves out to try and try and keep up with Max. And then lastly, definitely Leclerc. I think, you know, like I said, that not the not the best straight line, but he was able to to put in some really awesome overtakes and some really interesting ones to to watch, like we were talking about earlier into that last hairpin. But I think he was definitely up there. So I think that rounds out my top three. I think as far as uh, maybe our not so great drivers of the weekend, you got Latifi slotting in there. Yes. Yet again, unfortunately, for his home race. Yeah, I think this is going to be a recurring theme on this podcast is talking about Latifi finishing near the bottom. Did not finish last today. Um, even did not finish last with the drivers that finished. Finished 16th, and there was a driver that finished behind him that did finish the race. Um, but just a tough weekend overall. Just no pace in qualifying whatsoever. Wasn't even close to getting out Q yeah. Q3. And then... Into the into the race on Sunday, just no pace, nowhere to be found. Just typical Latifi. Um, I, I mean, there's not much more to say about him. I think, kind of in terms of other drivers that were disappointing, I think McLaren as a team was very disappointing this weekend. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you had Ricardo start um, P9 and, and Norris start P14. Obviously, Norris had that issue during qualifying, like we talked about. But 
I had high hopes for both of them. I thought for sure Ricardo would finish in the points, and I was hoping Norris would as well. I think just on paper, looking at pace, they would have had the pace, but they just completely messed up both their strategies today. They didn't pit at the right times. Yeah. They didn't take advantage of the safety cars, and then you know Norris ends up getting stuck behind uh, a train of cars, basically of like Albon and all them. And it is—it's not a difficult track to pass, but it's not an easy one either. It's pretty much on those DRS straights, and when you're in a DRS train like that, like even with a better performing car, like there's only so much you can do if every car in front of you has DRS too. So yeah, you know, just getting caught behind there, that slow pit stop with them too, that really set him back where the tires weren't ready. So it was a really disappointing weekend for me for McLaren. I think they really bungled this one. Yeah, the double stack was interesting. And, and we saw a lot of issues with pit stops today for some yeah. reason. There was a lot of dropping the cars before the wheels were on. But definitely, I mean, highlight, worst one out of all of that was the double stack there. It looked like Norris's tires weren't even ready for him. So interesting to see what, what maybe the call was there. I know it was under a safety car, so maybe a pretty quick decision. But uh, still didn't go well for them. Yeah, and I think... Um, in terms of you know overall teams that had a good performance this weekend, I think I have to go with with Aston Martin, um, especially on Sunday, right? You know we talked about on Saturday, just terrible, just totally bungled that that whole qualifying and didn't have the right tire pressures, and it led to them you know starting near the back of the field. But I think they both also took advantage of both the safety cars and ended up working their way up the field. Vettel didn't finish in the points, unfortunately, got got twelfth. But Stroll did get 10th, which was nice to see in his home race to score a point. That had to feel great for him. And I think, you know, on Sunday we saw them their real pace in the dry. And when they came in with the right strategy with the tires and capitalizing on those safety cars, I think we saw kind of what they're heading towards. And I know something interesting that I saw um, during qualifying was kind of a graphic put together by F1 showing the pace differences from the beginning of the year to now and kind of the improvements that teams have made through their upgrades, um, and the, the graph is really interesting. So it basically showed that, um, interestingly, that Ferrari was the top-performing team still, which I'd argue was Red Bull, but it was, I mean, within like a hundredth of a second. Um, and then you had Mercedes kind of that slider in third there, and they've definitely improved on pace since the beginning of the season. Then you saw teams like Aston Martin make a big jump. I think their overall like average lap time went down to like three-quarters of a second since the beginning of the season. Um, and then you saw teams like Williams improve slightly, um, Haas kind of progress, Alfa Romeo kind of regress, like we talked about. Um, McLaren kind of just right around where they've been the whole time, and you know we saw a little improvement, a little unimprovement throughout the year. So I think that was definitely an interesting graphic. But you know, to get back to my point, I think Aston Martin has is starting to show their true pace more. And I think it's something that will be interesting to see how that plays out with their upgrades they bring to Silverstone and, and forward, because yeah. they you know could be fighting towards the middle of that midfield. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely interesting how how big of a package change they brought on a car that you've been working on for so long. It's uh, it's kind of interesting to see, but yeah, coming into this weekend, it was you know they were pretty hyped up, and everybody I think was expecting them to do a lot better. And then you know even when the rain came, I thought Stroll would be able to use that because he's always been a good a good wet weather driver, but uh, he wasn't able to unfortunately, and and that comes down to maybe some of the team issues that we talked about earlier, but. Maybe another one of the another one of the teams, like you mentioned, Williams is doing a little bit better. And we saw last year they were able to stick it pretty far up there, obviously, and with uh, George Russell getting into the podium on that rainy qualifying. But you know we've had we've seen Albon put in some pretty good performances, and he was able to qualify in in a Williams in P12, and that's pretty solid, I think, in the rain. And he was able to yeah. able to to put that up there. And you saw Latifi down in 19th and not really able to 
to match anywhere close to that. So it'll be interesting to see. And I think Albon's been a pretty consistent driver. Obviously, you know, we were talking before this and you, you were mentioning how he's able to overtake still. He's able to keep it if he puts in a really good qualifying. Yeah. He's able to keep it in, in that ballpark. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been interesting over the course of the year to see kind of the difference between him and Latifi in, in terms of their qualifying times. And then in terms of the race, too, Latifi always seems to sit at that back and not really ever make up any positions, where Albine seems to pretty much always capitalize on any safety cars, any strategy call, things like that. And then just in race pace in general, I feel like I've seen more passes from Albine this year, like just on TV, than yeah. you would typically see from a Williams car in the past. And yeah. kind of what we'd expect out of them, being that they are the slowest car. Um, and overall, you know, he scored a couple points, and I think, you know, this race he finished P13, obviously not in the points, but he seems to always be fighting up towards to get into that top 10 and always shows good pace. And, um, you know, this weekend especially, we saw a lot of times where he might have been fastest in the speed trap or, you know, was up there in terms of setting faster sectors and qualifying and stuff and, and during the race too. So I think he showed a lot of consistency through the year of, like, getting the most out of the car. I think mean, that's what we saw with Russell last year, too. So it's good to see that Williams was able to replace Russell as someone that, you know, may not be on George's level, but can still get the most out of the car. Yeah, definitely. And like we talked about a little bit last week, you know, begs the question, is Latifi going to have a seat? And I think a lot of people are leaning towards no in this performance. I know he's hoping for a good one, but hasn't really helped him in any regard. And even this weekend, we've heard a lot of bit of silly season rumors, right? And, yeah. you know, we heard about, Piastri coming in and, and definitely going to have a seat, according to the Alpine team boss. And, yeah. Uh, you know, we'll see where he ends up, but it, there's been rumors of Williams being that link, so should be interesting to see where he goes. Yeah, I agree. I think Piastri definitely deserves a seat. I think you could argue that he deserved a seat this year. Um, but it's good to know that next year he it looks like he's going to get that seat. Like you said, you know, uh, the Alpine team boss kind of confirmed that he will be in F1 next year. Um, and kind of along with that, we ha- did hear this weekend that kind of contract talks with Fernando are going to go on this summer. Yep. So I would expect him to stay at Alpine, and obviously Ocon's already locked in. So that kind of begs the, the brings up the question, like, okay, well, where's Piastri going to go then? And kind of the that real seat that everybody is thinking is Latifi's seat at Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of what I heard is that you know Alpine will basically loan him to Williams for a couple of years, similar to what Red Bull is doing with Albon right now. Um, I think another rumor that we heard that was interesting was like the possibility of the Renault engines from Alpine, you know, being brought on by Williams to kind of make that deal work more. But I think that was kind of disproved and it really wouldn't make sense for Williams uh, because they already had that great relationship with Mercedes and yeah. have had it for a while. And then Williams has kind of been that like junior program for Mercedes these past couple of years. So. Exactly. Yeah. I think it'd be tough for them to, to give up a, a relationship like that in Mercedes and, I know they have bigger plans and better plans for the future to continue with that. So that extra seat that Mercedes fills with, obviously, George was last year, and then they had a little discussion with Albon about him sitting in that seat. So we'll see where that where that goes, but I don't think I don't think they can make the change to Rental and still expect more performance. No, yeah, I don't I don't see how it could be. Obviously, you have this year where the Mercedes power unit in general seems to be lacking a little bit, but I wouldn't bet on them to have that issue again next year, especially with the past that they've had and, you know, winning eight straight constructor championships, like the, at least the manufacturing team has. And so I wouldn't expect that to continue. And I, they, like you said, they just have that great relationship. So there's no point in, in screwing that up. Um, yeah. I think another rumor that 
it's kind of been interesting this week and these past couple weeks has been, you know, what's going to happen with Pierre Gasly. And so, you know, I think a lot of people are of the thought, and I am, and I, I think you are too, that he probably deserves to be on a better team at least, you know, maybe not one of the top teams. Maybe he's not part of that yet. You know, maybe you could argue he could be that second seat to Red Bull, but we kind of saw what happened the last time yeah. that went through. But I think you could argue he could be, in general, obviously, on a team like McLaren or somebody like that that's kind of up in that upper midfield. Maybe Alpine, too. I've heard that as well, kind of making that, that all-French team there with him and Ocon is yeah. another rumor that I heard. But, you know, this weekend the, the team boss over at AlphaTauri confirmed that he will be here next year. Um, there wasn't a lot behind it, though, which was interesting. He, the boss basically said, you know, hey, he's under contract for next year still, so he's still going to be here. But it wasn't like a, we want Pierre here or we, you know, Pierre's going to be here because he wants to be here. It was more like he's still under contract, so, like, why would he not be here? And it really wasn't much else given besides that. Yeah, and I think a lot of – I mean, everybody wants to talk about Pierre Gasly and how comfortable he is right now and how, how great he's driving. I mean, he's putting in some amazing performances, and that does deserve a better car maybe. But uh, we've seen AlphaTauri put in some really good weekends this year already. So maybe his best performances outside of – you know, the top three or top two, depending on where he might be able to sneak in, is AlphaTauri. And maybe he's able to continue that great relationship that he has with his teammates and and hopefully continue to put in really good performances and keep that team up near the top end of the midfield and fighting the likes of where he might end up rather than ending up like Ricardo and maybe struggling for a year or two and, and really having starting a downfall. Yeah. Not that Ricardo's starting a downfall, but you know, you risk something like that going to a new yeah. team and even leaving the Red Bull Junior squad or Red Bull squad in general yeah. is um, maybe something that he probably wants to steer away from if if he's feeling as comfortable and driving as well as he is right now. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's probably the biggest factor as to why he would stay is that comfortability with the team. And, you know, we look back even to when he had that little stint with the you know actual Red Bull team in 2019 before he got brought back down. Yeah. You could just tell the level of comfort he had without AlphaTauri or Torrasso at the time was just way higher than with the Red Bull team. And I think he's a guy that, you know, obviously much more experienced now than he was in 2019, but he didn't seem to really fit that, that second driver role with Maxwell. Um, obviously, you know, Red Bull said we don't have a second driver to whoever's winning. You know, Horner always says that comment, like whoever's winning for us, that's my favorite driver. But I think we both agree it's it's probably – Max's team and Perez kind of fills in that role even though yeah you know up until this race at least they had been kind of close in the championship I think it's everyone's general understanding is that hey this is you know Max's team he's the guy here and they've had a lot of talk coming into this weekend a lot of interview questions and and things of that sort asking about hey if Perez puts in another good performance is he going to be on for number one driver is he going to be on supported by Red Bull for that for that driver's championship or is it going to be strictly max and and you're not going to intervene with that kind of strategy we know team orders were kind of in effect last week even though there was a big pace difference but you know that that's a question all season long and obviously we've heard a lot about the rumors online how uh you know one of the mechanics put put a uh, a screwdriver in his gearbox to to mess with him this weekend but you know i guess we'll have to see how that plays out and maybe that's something that we hear about you know, Red Bull's obviously always been a very competitive team, and I think stemming back to Gasly, he's, you know, he didn't have that comfort because Helmut Marco and Christian Horner were expecting such good right off the bat, and I think very frustrated in their fight with Mercedes, and that also played into it, and we saw the same thing with Albon having 
having waited for so many years to be even in contention for for wins off of Lewis, you know, they're they're waiting four or five races into the season until they can even try and get onto that top step. And I think that was very frustrating. But now that they have Perez, somebody who's been on the top step, somebody who can continue to be on the top step and, and almost rival Max, it's good for the team and, and I think good for us as fans watching that championship play out. Yeah, and I think you brought up an interesting point with kind of the pressures that that second driver faces at Red Bull, right? Like in the past, it had always been where between Albon and Pierre, you know, you had these two guys that just couldn't quite keep up, keep up with Max, and I think they had a lot of pressure from you know from the Red Bull team to to keep that pace because, as you mentioned, they were falling behind Mercedes, and they were falling behind Mercedes early in the season, and Lewis was just you know so much further ahead of everybody, and in a lot of cases you had Bottas even in P two where you know Mercedes on points was way ahead, and I think the Red Bull team felt like wow we need this second driver that is going to be inconsistently in the top four, and that can help Max and kind of bring this whole team forward whereas now when Red Bull's clearly the best team in my opinion and they have this big lead down the championship I think there's less pressure for Perez than Gasly or Albon had because they're not battling that monster that that was Mercedes yeah of, of the of the 2010s yeah agreed and, and we saw the same thing with Mercedes when they were dominating they didn't have as much pressure on Bottas and then you get to last year and you really need that second driver and it made it a very interesting championship to watch because that mattered so much. Whereas yeah. in, in previous years and maybe in this year, it's not really as competitive, but uh, still really interesting to watch the first, you know, first four finishers of every race, first five finishers of every race and how just those are, are playing in with second drivers. Yeah. I think they matter a lot more, especially last year, obviously, right? I think it really mattered last year and it really made for, it made it a little more exciting because, like, you obviously knew it was going to be Lewis or Max that were going to finish P1 or P2, but you had this other battle going on of, like, well, how is 3-4 going to finish out because that construction was so close. Yeah. And I think you had that at the beginning of this year, but now kind of after these DNFs from Ferrari and just the different problems they've had and Red Bull getting ahead in the championship, there, isn't just, there just isn't that much, much pressure for Perez. And I think that's why we saw him perform so well at the beginning and Obviously, it's had a couple unfortunate weeks, you know, kind of out of his control. But overall, I think that's why we've seen him perform better this season. And I think that's why we saw, you know, a lot of people would say Bottas performed better in the season before 2021. Because that pressure wasn't there to kind of be on par with your teammate. He just kind of fills in as this, like, you know, auxiliary role, basically. Yeah, and it's interesting to look at even further down the grid how how driver one and driver two pairings end up and a lot of times lower on the grid we do see like the older Kimi Raikkonen and Giovinazzi or or people like that where it's a a veteran driver teaching a younger driver coming in for one of their top teams that they're in the driver's program for but you look at I mean Bottas and Joe we talked about them a little bit last last week and without the pressure they're performing well both of them most of the time and and uh, able to keep a really good relationship and then you see McLaren with Norris and Ricardo and the tension that's becoming there because not only Ricardo's struggling but because it's becoming tense on who's finishing top and and everybody wants to be the number one driver and everybody wants to you know outperform their teammate but uh, yeah it's interesting to look at to look at different relationships and how they're affecting the team really. Yeah I agree I think you like you said I think the McLaren one is probably the I'd argue, I think, probably the most hostile of, of all the teams in the grid right now. Yeah. Uh, just because, you know, if you, if you run through the list, like, Max and Checo have a great relationship. Yeah. You know, that might be changed this year as it's a little closer to the championship, but it seems like they get along well. You know, for the Ferraris, kind of, it's 
kind of fallen apart for both of them this year. They kind of both have had issues, so they're not really in contesting with each other. Like, you haven't really had a race where it's been, like, race orders for one to pass the other or yeah. certain things like that. You know, either Leclerc's been way ahead or Leclerc's not finished and Sainz just finished the race. Um, Mercedes, I think just because Russell's new, you just don't. And they're just trying to figure out the car in general. You don't have a lot of that, you know, those problems. But if you look at, you know, some of the midfield teams, I think it's where you start to see this more. And I think really McLaren is kind of the one that stands out to me where. Definitely. I think at first, last year, you could make the excuse for Ricardo, like, oh, it's first year, he's just having trouble getting used to the car, you know, whatever. But I think we're seeing this year, and I think the dynamic between the two of them is the tension is so high is because, you know, Ricardo's not that kind of that vet like Kimi Raikkonen or mm-hmm. or Alonso where he's kind of at the, the tail end of his career and, like, this is kind of, you know, him kind of passing knowledge down to someone younger. He's still very much in the middle of his career and, you know, I'd argue it's not near the end of it in terms of age and stuff, too. I think a lot of people would say that, too. He's, you know, 31, 32, whatever it is. He's kind of right in that middle zone. And I think he expected more from himself, and I think the team expected more from him in general. And obviously, you know, today he finished ahead, but a lot of that was just due to the qualifying mishap that happened with Norris's car. And like we talked about last episode, it's just overall these first two years, on average, Norris has just been so much better than Ricardo. And I think that's really taken a hit to him, and that's what's made the relationship kind of not be as clean as we, we thought it was. You know, I think, obviously, in, in Drive to Survive and Netflix, they made a good job of making it seem like they hated each other, Yeah. which I don't think that's the case either, but I think they probably are the most competitive with each other in terms of teams on the grid, and I think you're going to see over the course of the season if Ricardo can't keep consistently putting it up there with Lando that this tension could get higher and higher because you're just going to have – the young guy doing way better than the guy that thinks he should be doing better. Yeah, and it's interesting how you mentioned, you know, the veteran guys and, and maybe Ricardo not being at the tail end of his career. And I think a lot of people kind of look at it different differently because he had his, his stint at Red Bull and that maybe maybe people think that was his chance and that was, you know, when you're going to be there to win races. And then he chose to step away from that and chose to go down to to Alpine or Renault at the time and uh, and try something new. But never really panned out for him to, to claw his way back to the top of the grid. And I think that's kind of hit his his performances and his confidence after that. Yeah, I agree. So I think now uh, would be a good time to get into our first new segment that we decided on doing here on our show. And I think that's going to be the comedic happenings of this weekend and of every weekend going forward, kind of what are the funniest things that, that you saw or that both of us saw from the weekend. And so go ahead and start with yours. Yeah, so I think my first one is is Perez's hike home, and and that was a pretty funny one. Obviously, we saw a bit of that on social media, but you saw Perez go out in, in Q2 and have to make the long walk home on the edge of the water and hiking through the trees. Couldn't get a, a little Vettel uh, scooter on the racetrack, unfortunately, but but that was pretty interesting to see. You'd think you know a track like that would have, have some better, better ways to get back to the pit lane, yeah. but... Not for Perez. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think another funny one, and, you know, Alonzo fans cover your ears, but I think it was kind of funny to see, you know, him put it on P2 and then just Alpine kind of have a tough strategy call where they just didn't pit during these safety cars and then had to bring him in during a non-safety car or virtual safety car period. Lost all that time. Should have finished ahead of Ocon. Finished P7. And then at the end of the race on the last lap, Gets a five-second time penalty for weaving on the straight, basically into the last turn. Um, was that close to finishing P7 and now finishes P9. So 
you know, Alonzo and Alpine fans might not find it funny, but I think it's, and I don't know how you feel about it, but I think it's pretty hysterical that, like, he started P2 and just had pretty much on race day, pretty much everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. Yeah, it's got to be gutting for him going in. I mean, even a P7 finish, he probably would have looked at and scoffed at after the qualifying that he had. But, you know, I think going into this weekend, telling them that they would finish 6-9 and nine are, are a pretty solid result for them. Yeah, I agree. And then I think the next one was the Sonoda fine for speeding in the pit lane. And, you know, funny, on multiple multiple ends, you know, he gets a 300-euro fine, which for these drivers is, is laughable in itself. And then on top of that, it was the literal pit lane exit that he that he went and put it in the wall after that. So just pretty funny that he needed that much of a run-up to go into the wall, but but he used it all, didn't he? Yes, yes, he did. Um, and so I think the other one we wanted to touch on here, um, and I'm going to let you just sound off on this however you want to. I know this has been big old man yelling at clouds vibes from you on this. So for those of you that have F1 TV – uh, the commentary is a little different than ESPN. So, you know, typically it's Will Buxton, Julian Palmer, and, you know, an assorted cast of interviewers and tech people and things like that. You know, Sam Collins is on there a lot, too. It's it's just a different feed than the normal ESPN feed. This week we had someone new named Tom who was doing the, you know, basically color commentary for the actual practice sessions and qualifying and the race itself. And so I think Tyler has a few thoughts on on Tom's commentary. Yeah, I mean, let me preface this, right? It, it's not like it was the worst thing in the world. You know, he got it, he got most things out all right, and the race wasn't too bad in the end to, to listen to, but joining for Free Practice 1, it was just a highlighted segment because you listen to all these Free Practice 1s, and, you know, they're they're Free Practice 1s. You know, you can't really take too much off of these, off of these laps that people are putting in. A lot of them happen, you know, when they're just on reconnaissance laps for, for new testing or or, you know, a test in quick lap to test out their, their setup. But but this guy was was commentating on it like it was Q3, last lap shootout for the title world championship, and and it was nonstop. It was every every third word he said was, was intonated as if it was the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix and Max Verstappen was finishing over the finish line, taking the world championship off of Lewis Hamilton, and Toto was going off on Michael Massey and it's almost like that entire the entire broadcast was just a Toto Wolf message to the FIA. I agree with that. I think it's I would liken it to when you're talking to somebody and their S's are just a little bit more exaggerated or something along those lines where it's like once you notice it one time, that's all you hear. That's all you can hear. That's all it consumes you, right? So the entire free practice, you and I both just kept thinking like, why is this dude keep exaggerating every third word? even though this is not a meaningless practice session, but, like, nothing really matters in practice. Like, in the long run, it's not going to affect qualifying or anything like that. Like, there doesn't need to be this much important place, importance placed on it. And I think that's where, like, just it just aggravated both of us. Yeah. Yeah, I think it definitely compounded throughout the weekend. But I got nothing against F1 Live as a broadcast. And, you know, I think everything else that they were discussing, everybody – included in there and in the interviews and some of the tech talk and I love all the other shows but yeah that color commentary just really got to me throughout the weekend yeah I think it's always tough when and for those of you who don't know typically that seat is filled by Will Buxton but he was actually on the track this week and any weekend that he's on the track they have someone else fill in and 
uh, it was it was just a tough week for Tom. It was a tough week. I think that's the feedback he's probably going to get from from the general public too. Is that it was a tough week, but you know, live and you learn, and hopefully he can uh, get better when Buxton's on the track in the future. Yeah, and I guess you know, credit to to Buxton, right? It's just so hard to fill his seat. Yeah, I agree. I agree. He's you know. He's my favorite to listen to, especially, you know, through qualifying and the race. I think he just provides a different insight, and it feels a little more personal, but that's just me. Yeah, yeah, and it seems just effortless. Yeah. So, I guess kind of going into going into the next race, we obviously have a week off. Um, then we head over to what a, a lot of people – is a lot of people's favorite race, and is one of the probably best races on the calendar, in my opinion, too. And the original first-ever Formula 1 race was held here, and that's over at Silverstone. So, I guess what are some of your – Initial thoughts heading into heading into that weekend. I think one of the biggest storylines is all the the upgrades that are going to be brought, and I think there's a couple of teams that are really hoping to make a big jump forward. But um, yeah, I'm excited to see some of the some of the discussion around maybe the the title battle and see how some of the teams are feeling about that, and um, like to see where Alonzo's head is at after an unfortunate day for him. But um, yeah, we'll see how it goes, and I think. You know, Hamilton having some confidence going into there can be uh, an interesting force with how good he goes around that track. But, yeah, what about you? Um, I agree with all that. I think, you know, just going to going back to Great Britain and, and, you know, it being a home race for quite a few of the drivers and specifically, you know, Hamilton, Russell, Norris, like those guys, I think it's one of those races where the fans are crazy. You know, it's a, it's an awesome environment that it's a, it's a party all weekend. It's, it's one of those races where we see a lot of different support than normal. I think it, at a general F1 race, that's not in, obviously you have in Italy where it's big Ferrari sport and in the Netherlands you have, you know, where it's big max support or Austria, it's big Red Bull. But I think Silverstone is just different because they're just so passionate about the British drivers. And that's kind of all you see there. And it's, it's just a different dynamic. And I think it definitely will play a role in, kind of how the weekend goes and stuff. And like you said, with Hamilton, he's always gone always gone well there and, you know, has eight wins, I believe, there now, which I think is the most – or tied for the most all-time at a single track. But Even with three wheels. Even with three wheels, yes. If we look back at the 2020 race, that, that three-wheel finish was probably one of the all-time last laps in the history of F1, right? Definitely. Yeah. I'd have so, to agree. I, I'm very excited for it. You know, it's – especially after last year, I mean, we all know what happened last year with, with the collision and them coming together and – you know, I definitely played a big role in the in the title chase, and I think it's something that you know we're going to see a ton of replays of, obviously, which you know might be annoying, might not be. I don't know. I guess we'll decide once we get there. But I I think overall it's it's a fun track. I think it's just a pure racing track where it kind of hits, kind of how we talked about with Baku too. But this isn't a street circuit. I think it kind of hits. You know, it's got some straights. It's got you know Maggots and Beckets, which is kind of an all time set of turns there. And yeah, I think the track overall, and I think. Uh, pit strategy plays a huge role here because the pit stop is so long Definitely. at Silverstone. It's, I don't know, like close to 40 seconds, I think. It's like the pit, pit stop time. So, like, having those quick pit stops and, like, timing those with, with virtual safety cars or safety cars is kind of crucial to race strategy. And then, you know, with tires, too, I think if we if we look back at last year's, uh, you know, Claire obviously ended up taking that lead after that first lap incident and kind of led throughout, and Hamilton had to serve that 10-second that time penalty or according to Drive Survive, like 37 and a half seconds. But if we look at the race from last year, you know, Hamilton had that 10-second time penalty, and I think a lot of people thought, you know, that's his race, that's going to be over, and they just played that tire strategy so well, putting him on the hards there at the end, and he just had so much pace, and it was just fastest lap after fastest lap, yeah. all the way to the end until he passed Leclerc on, I think, lap 50 or 52 or whatever. So I think that's, you know, I think pit stop strategy plays a 
crucial role in, in a race like Silverstone compared to some of the other places just because of how long that pit stop is and just how important it is to get that track position. Yeah, yeah, and I think Ferraris will probably go pretty good around there this year with the the low-speed cornering speeds that they have and just the cornering in general that they're able to produce and uh, maybe that, that Red Bull uh, straight-line speed might not be able to pull out too much of an advantage over them. So definitely will be a, an interesting one for both the title battles as well. But on that note, I guess I'll send it back to you for our sign-off, yeah, and, and we'll see you next week. I think, uh, you know, hope you guys enjoyed today's episode, and we'll see you guys in Silverstone.